the world sucks. Door to door training. Can't knock this. Noctis, and I've got Chad Orem, Vivint's legend, on the phone, and super excited to uh, dive into what makes him great. He was last year's number one rep. He did 456 accounts. He's done 2,600 personal accounts over the 10 years he's lit, uh, worked at Vivint. Started in 2008 and has a ton of accolades at Vivint, one of the largest door-to-door companies to exist. Um, basically, you're pretty much one of the best door knockers in the world. And super excited to learn from you. So welcome to the show, my man. Thank you. Glad to be on. Okay, so tell me about how you got into door to door. I always like to know what was the who recruited you, how'd that work? Yeah, I mean, uh was just going to school there at BYU and uh one of my best friends uh, served a mission with uh Dave Madsen. Everybody in the solar game has to know Dave Madsen, right? Oh, still uh, in it. Still in it? That's yeah. cool. Yeah, so him and I were roommates, uh, and just, you know, one of, one of his best friends went out the summer before, made good money, uh, kind of heard about it. So from there, just started looking in the different companies, what would be the best office. And really what kind of ended up happening was Dave came home one day and was like, Hey man, what do you think about going to Boston? And I said, All right, man, wherever you want to go, I'll, I'll go with you. So we went up, uh, to Boston with Apex back in 2008 and the rest is history that's crazy i got into it yeah um dave madsen i mean some of these guys it's crazy like the originals that have just been in it for so long and just stayed with the same company and they've been awesome ever since i mean it's fun to see the growth over the last 10 years um it's good good to start off with with dave because uh trying to compete with him every day definitely push we just pushed each other you know that first summer so definitely so how, uh yeah <laughs> was it was yeah. it a quick quick start or did you have kind of a slow learning curve like what was your first week day how was it yeah i mean i i had a slower start for sure um i went and did like five days of preseason in utah didn't sell anything didn't get didn't even get close um went out to boston got there i think like on a monday or tuesday uh went my first three days, four days out in Boston, didn't sell anything. And then that Friday, um, I finally got a sale and then, um, leave that Saturday. It didn't, it didn't go in that day because the techs were backed up that Saturday. They called and told me they, they had thought about it. They didn't want to go forward with it. So my first sale canceled. And then I was actually, you know, quick, quick story, ready to, ready to throw in the towel. Told, you know, told my, my manager, Alan Swick said, Hey man, I, I don't know if I can do this. Body, body, blah. He came to a pizza parlor there in Boston, Massachusetts, and talked my ear off for about three hours, convinced me to to stick it out, and uh, sure glad I did. So, you should probably uh, call Swick and be like, "I hope Swick listens to this podcast." And he goes, "Chad, give me like a million dollars for that for that conversation." <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure he's made a little bit of that money back. There. I know. I'm sure. I'm sure he's. He's made a grip, but, but I'm just, you know what I mean? It's like, think about it. That conversation, how much money did that, or how much, like, how did that impact your life? I mean, that's crazy. Uh, huge. Yeah. I mean, every time I kind of tell my story, I, you know, that was a definitely a, you know, a, a big decision. It was a point in my life that I could have went, you know, back to just go back to Utah, go get a regular job, whatever. And 
it definitely would have impacted my life. And, you know, very thankful and appreciate the time that he took to, you know, kind of convince me to, to stick it out. So, yeah, I mean, think how many rookies take the alternative where they're three, four weeks into it. Man, I haven't made any money. My dad's saying I'm an idiot. Come home. I'll I'll help you out. Get through the next couple months till you get a normal job. And and it's like they never know, you know. Yeah. So what was yeah. the journey after that? So you you have this hard conversation three hours. Then what kind of when did it start to click? And when did it start to be like okay, I think I can do this. Well, I, I think what was going on uh, in that first week or so is I was trying to trying to do it the way they were, you know, teaching me how to do it. And, and honestly, there was a lot of things that I didn't like, things people were saying I didn't uh, didn't really agree with. Um, I felt like we were kind of, back in those days, I felt like we were trying to hide things and <laughs> say things and be real transparent. And so I, I really didn't like it. I felt very uncomfortable. Um, I was like, look, I had a hard conversation. I said, if I'm going to do this um, – I'm going to try to be as open as I can, try to be myself, and see, you know, what happens from there. And so, you know, really what kind of changed was I just went to work. I stopped thinking so much, and I just started knocking doors and just being myself and having fun with it. And that next week, I think I sold three or four accounts, and then the next week was kind of like my breakout week. I think I sold, shoot, I think I sold 14 that next week. Wow. So that was kind of like the third week was definitely when it clicked. And then from that point on, honestly, I've just kind of always held a standard that sell 10 plus accounts a week. And, you know, if I'm not on track to do that, I'll I'll go out early. I'll put in more hours. Just kind of held that standard of 10 plus a week and, and never look back. That's cool. No, and, and, and there's something yeah. to say, like most people think, oh, to be a 450, 400 account rep, you got to be shady, you know, and like, it, it's so funny because it's the, I, I honestly think it's kind of the exact opposite. And it goes to say, like, if a manager or somebody's training you and trying to convince you to say something you don't agree with, then say something you agree with and you could still sell. Like, I mean, yeah, if you're, if you're uncomfortable, the customer's going to feel uncomfortable. So if you're saying things and doing things that you do not feel comfortable with, then you probably need to, check yourself a little bit and say, okay, how can I explain this to where I feel comfortable, where it makes sense? And yes, your sales will definitely increase the more transparent you are, um, the more honest you are, you know, the more vulnerable you are with your customer because when you open up to them and and you're up front to them with everything, typically they're going to trust you a lot more, right? And they can tell. They can tell when you're being honest and when you're not. 100%. And I think that's where a lot of – you know, guys struggle is they're like, I'm a salesman. I need to like swindle them. It's like, no, you need to serve them. And they feel that. That's cool. So what would you say, what would you say was your biggest success in the last 10 years? Um, probably I would say my biggest success the last 10 years probably be uh, winning the cup the last two years. Um, we won the D2 cup, uh, here at Vivint which for guys that aren't in Vivint, you know, it's obviously like the big competition. Um, the reason I kind of feel like that's the big, biggest success is just, you know, it was the whole team buying in, um, you know, doing something for a greater cause. Uh, just a lot of fun to see, you know, guys hitting numbers that they normally wouldn't hit. Seeing guys that, you know, normally do one or two in a week, do eight in a week. And, and just, you know, seeing the potential of the whole team, you know, last year, for example, we normally averaged about 
I don't know, 140, 130 accounts a week in that cup championship week. We went out and did, I think it was 260 accounts and threw mm-hmm. in like 70 on a Saturday. And it was just crazy to me to see just when everybody buys in and, and does it, you know, for not just the money, but, you know, for their teammates and their brothers and sisters or whatever, the potential somebody can hit. So it was, it was, it was pretty cool to see. But that, I mean, isn't that wild how a competition and a culture can bring that much difference to an office or a person? Yeah, I mean, when you're going out there and just knocking doors, you can get real tedious, but when you get into those competitions and you buy in and you're having fun and everybody's cheering each other on and, you know, you want your, your the guy next to you to sell compared to, I think a lot of times in the summer, you know, one rookie sells and one doesn't, and the one that does upsets that the other one did. But when everybody kind of buys in and, and is aligned as a team, uh, you know, the amount of uh, power that can be behind that is just crazy. So how did you get that buy-in? Because some people can't get their team to buy into the competition to save their life. You know what I mean? They're like, come on, guys, let's win. And everybody's like, screw that. Like, it's a freaking hat. <laughs> you know oh, yeah. what I mean? I mean, I mean my like, first, first five or six years trying to get guys to buy in, I think. <laughs> I, I think it, you have to lead from the front. You have to, like, sincerely buy in. And, uh you know, once you commit and get your, your, your leaders, your top, you know, I'd say racehorses to commit, once your your top racehorses are on board and everybody's, you know, committed to, to the competitions and, yeah, you get all the other guys that, you know, think they're too cool or whatever, they're like, all right, well, I guess everybody else is kind of like buying into this thing. I guess I better do it too, you know? Yeah. it's Yeah. It's honestly just getting those influencers to also back you up because I think a lot of struggle that people have – is really they feel super lonely, but it's like if you can get a couple strong like influencers in your office to like be on your side instead of like the opposite of you, like oh man that manager, but they're also top reps. It's kind of difference too. Um, yeah, for sure. So what would you say is some of your biggest failures along the way? Like you know, did you have any moments where you're like screw this, I'm quitting. Like uh-huh. I need to get another job or like what like what. What what's been smart? Well, I, I actually left the I, I left the industry for uh, about three or four months. Um, probably my my lowest point. And uh, anybody that's knocked in New York, Long Island area, probably probably knows what what I was feeling uh, after a summer of knocking in Long Island. Uh, just beaten down, man. Uh, people people out there were were ruthless. Uh, didn't seem like I, you could get anybody to be friendly to you so i mean me as a sales rep i really uh, feed off of that i like to you know get to know my communities that i'm working in make friends that type of thing and long island was rough it was one sale and, and you didn't get very many referrals whatever but you know after after long island um i went out to, to long island with like 26 first years and finished the summer with one first year so that kind of put some perspective how bad we got our butts kicked out there. Uh, some of my best guys that ended up being 200 account reps when they were in Long Island did like 50 accounts. So we got our butts kicked out in Long Island. Um, I came home. One of my uh, family friends was selling a business down in Vegas. I uh, was actually uh, screen printing. Told me, oh man, you can make about 250 a year. Come buy this business. Went and bought this business down there. Moved my whole family down to Vegas. Uh, once we started digging into financials after purchasing the business, because I put a lot of trust in this guy, realized it was not what it, what I thought it was going to be, and uh, 
shoot, man, after about three or four months of grinding, printing shirts, making 800 bucks a week, 700 bucks a week, I was sitting there scratching my head and saying, what am I doing? And uh, ended up calling Jason Brown back, Alan Swift back, and said, hey, I'm back on board. I'm going to sell this business and, and get back over to, uh, to sell an alarm. So that was kind of my – probably one of my bigger failures, I guess, but – I learned I learned a ton from it when I came back. I came back a much more appreciated uh, sales rep for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, and it, sometimes it takes that. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to those moments where it's like every year is not going to be like killer year. You know what I mean? You've obviously shown growth over growth over growth every year, but at the same time, it's like, hey, everybody's going to have one summer that kicked their freaking butt. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think I think we you know. We don't realize that with pain, you know, equals growth. And uh, a lot of times, you know, when we're going through those painful moments and we're getting our trashes kicked, uh, we don't realize how much we're growing. And, and that little stint in Vegas for four months was very painful. I mean, I was putting in 70, 80 hours a week and making barely anything. But when I came back to Vivint, you know, that's actually when I kind of went from being just a 200-account rep uh, jumping up to the 300s, 350, 400s, because I realized at that moment when I was in Vegas that, man, this opportunity to go make $1,000 a day or $1,500 a day or, or plus is phenomenal, and you might as well take advantage of the opportunities that you have. So when I came back, it was like my eyes had been opened, right? I wasn't looking yeah. for the next best thing. I was just like, I'm just going to put my head down and go do this for like five, ten years, as money as I can. You know what's crazy is I at Door to Door Con I'm I'm actually gonna make a shirt that says I knock doors or I'm a solicitor or something like that that we can identify ourselves with because a lot of times it sounds so much cooler like oh I own the screen printing business versus I knock doors right yeah, and yeah. so many people chase the ooh like it's so much more prestigious to have like I work at this financial institution. I knock doors. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, but at the end yeah. of the day, you appreciate it so much more when you leave it and then you go, holy crap, I have to work 80 hours a week and I'm making 800 bucks a week? Like, this sucks. Like, this is, this is not, like, I had it good. Yeah, I think, I think so many guys are scared or not scared, but I think the word would be maybe ashamed of like, I knock doors, right? They don't want to tell you. And I, I remember I kind of felt that way in my first three or four years. Like, I was, tell my family what I'm doing, and they're like, you do what? <laughs> you know, and, and to the normal person out there, knocking doors is, is, is weird, you know, but when you actually, like, embrace it and you're like, dude, I freaking knock doors for a living, and I make a lot of a lot of money doing this, um, and you become proud of what you do, I think for sure that's going to help, you know, help you in the long run to make a lot more money and, and to be successful with what you're doing. Yeah. Um. So... Will you be on stage with me at a door to door con and get a wear that shirt with pride? <laughs> For like, sure, bro. You know what I mean. I knock doors, brother. My life. I knock doors, man, and I I make good money. That's all. That's all, all that matters. No, exactly. I love it. So, who have been some of your who have been some of your mentors or like what kind of things have you read or or classes or education have you found that's made you kind of who you are today? Uh, I mean, I'd probably say my biggest mentor, uh, you know, not to get too personal, would probably just be my, my father. Uh, he passed away when I was actually on my mission. And, 
you know, just learned a lot uh, as a kid growing up of, of just straight up grit, hard work. Um, you know, if you're going to do something, do it right. Um, give 100% all the time. Uh, try not to get emotional. I'm getting a little emotional, but probably my biggest mentor would, would, would be my father for sure. Um, you know, he didn't, he wasn't a salesman or anything, but just the principle of, of working hard. Um, within the industry, you know, I'd probably say my biggest mentor would probably be Alan Swick. You know, he's been, been my homie through this whole thing. Um, always taking care of me, made sure, you know, my family's good. You know, I'm, I'm happy as a sales rep, put me in good positions as a manager and, uh, you know, kind of, kind of help me step by step to kind of get to where I am. So, you know, he's, he's told me along the way. And then, you know, outside of that, you know, when it comes like sales books and that type of thing, probably the guy that I read the most of and I still continue to, to push on my first years is, is Brian Tracy. Brian Tracy, you know, is just the guru of sales in my opinion and, and reading the psychology of selling kind of like opened up my brain to just what's really going on in the sales process and the art of closing. I remember reading that, like, I think it was my second summer I picked up that book and it just like, I was like, wow, man, this thing's got so many different tools in it, you know, and I just would pick one, one thing in the book and I'd use it that day and I'm like, dude, that freaking works. And then I go back and get something else and, and, uh, just kind of built on my sales ability from a lot of the stuff in, in Brian Tracy's, uh, book. That's awesome. No, I love, I mean, that was probably one of my first sales books that, hey, here's the Bible of selling. Just read the freaking psychology of selling. So yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah, um, it, it can be it can be dry, you know. There's parts in there that you're like, you know, there's some boring parts in there. But if you really like dig into it, read it over and over, you're really going to get like to understand how the psychology of selling works. You know, what's going on when when you're in that sales process. Cool. So, what do you do on a what do you do on a daily that kind of keeps you consistent, or what kind of routines do you do that's unique, maybe, or uh, what's some yeah. habits you've done? So I would say my first few years, uh, I didn't do these things. And as I've, you know, matured as a sales rep or whatever, I've started to create a lot more systems in place for like my morning routines. I remember when I was brand new, I'd wake up late every day. And I mean, I really, <laughs> I was kind of the, the, the not, the things you shouldn't do. I'd wake up late, I'd run to the meeting and get there and whatever. But now, now I've got a much more systematic routine, uh, every single day, uh, pretty much two hours every morning is, kind of my time where, you know, I'm writing in my journal, putting things I'm grateful for, uh, you know, doing some study time, whether it be in the scriptures or sales books. Um, I take about an hour in the morning to just kind of get my mind right. And then I spend an hour at the gym. And then typically I'm back at home. Uh, when my kids are out here and my family's out here, I'll spend, you know, 30, 45 minutes with them in the morning. And then time to go time, jump in the shower, get the uniform on, head to the office everything organized to, to make sure the day is going to run smoothly so as long as you're doing those things every day the summer summer's awesome it goes by super quick but when you kind of feel like you're getting behind because you're waking up late every day and you're not on top of you, you know your game then that's when i feel like the the whirlwind and the stress gets just overwhelming yeah when I, what i what i found is like you almost by by being consistent with your morning routine you find you, you have consistent results on this in the field you know, like for sure, yeah. I almost feel like you win in the morning, you win in the field, and you repeat. That's it. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so let's let's dive in. Let's dive in a little bit to your selling process. 
Um, you know, everybody's always going to, you know, listening to this podcast is going to say, well, freak, how do you sell 456 accounts in a year? That's, that's a lot more than I've done. Maybe 400 well, more than I've done. That's what it did. <laughs> yeah. so, um, so what, uh, what do you do? And, and, and we talked a little bit before the call or whatever, and you kind of were like, my door approach is pretty dang like everybody else's. So let's not, like, people need to realize, like, maybe speak a little on that. Like, door approach, what's different? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, guys are always looking for a special sauce. You know, I always kind of, I don't know if everybody remembers Space Jam when Michael Jordan gives them the, the water, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, they all think they're, you know, phenomenal basketball players. Everybody's looking for that special sauce, that, that water, whatever, and, and honestly, there it doesn't exist. We all know that. Any top rep's going to tell you that. The tricks to a door approach, you know, are going to be keeping it simple. These are these are things that, you know, I learned from Jordan Williams training videos or whatever it may be. You know, keeping it simple. Um, you know, you should know your flow. You shouldn't have pauses. You shouldn't be like, oh, uh, uh, right. And you should just be confident. If if those three things are in your door approach then a lot of times I tell people it's not what you're saying, it's how you're saying it. You know, it's not – I mean, of course you can't, you know, not make sense and whatever in your door approach, but if, you, if you're keeping it simple and it makes sense to your customer, then they're going to listen. They're going to oh, okay, as long as you're confident, then they're going to give you are they interested or are they not interested. And I think too many times uh, people think that top refs are selling every single person. And freak, man, I, I'm still getting told no 15, 18, 20 times in a row before I find that one person that says, oh, yeah, we, I mean, we kind of been looking into this or, you know, oh, that's pretty cool. And then, so, you know, in your head, as a top rep, they click, you're like, okay, here's my guy. Here's my customer. I'm so let me, guy. let me ask you this question. What do you hear when someone says no? You know what I mean? Like, I think there's a difference between what Chad hears on no and what most people hear on no. So how do you hear no typically? So my rule of thumb when I'm knocking doors, like the, the initial process, is if, if they tell me no without hearing me, I'm pretty persistent. I'm going to get out my pitch. So it's like if they tell me no at the very beginning, I'm like, yeah, yeah let me just kind of tell you what we're doing real quick. Not a big deal, man. Right? And I'll just keep going with my process because they don't know whether or not they want it or they don't want it. And I'm persistent enough to say, let me at least tell you what I'm doing. Like you can give me 30 seconds of your life to listen to what I'm doing, right? So. When I hear no at the beginning, that's what I think. I'm like, ah, oh, he doesn't know yet. Not a big deal. And I don't blame him. Like, he doesn't want to talk to me, right? Probably busy inside or whatever. But I'm going to be persistent enough to try to get my door approached. Doesn't mean that happens every time. I still get door slammed. I still get the quick, get out of here or whatever, right? But I try to get my door approach off as many times as I can because that's going to increase my percentages. When I hear no at the end of my door approach, yeah, man, we just we just really aren't interested in that. I may try another time or two to be like, yeah, yeah, let me just kind of say one more thing that we're doing, and I'll jump into another, another, you know, hot button that I think might work. But once they've told me no, and they're like, look, man, I'm, I'm straight up, I'm just not interested, I'm not in the market, frankly, I just say, all right, man, no big deal. Do you know of anybody that's recently moved in or somebody that might be interested in this? No, okay, what's your name again? Mike? Okay, cool. I mean, you know, and I bounce, and I go to the next house. Yeah. I'm not going to sit there and spin my wheels with somebody that's I'm being straight with him. He'd be straight with me. He tells me he's not interested. That's fine. I'll go to the next house. I'm not yeah. going to pressure somebody into doing this. As long as you felt, as long as you felt like you at least they heard you and you you got out what you needed to get out. It's kind of like then move on. Like people need exactly. to know. Yeah, I like that. Too many, too many times, guys are trying to trying to sell somebody that's genuinely not interested, and 
you're not going to be able to do, I don't know, three, four, five in a day if you're just spinning your wheels with somebody and you're getting frustrated and whatever. I'm just like, look, man, I'm telling you what I'm doing. Boom, 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 boom. I, I mean, I feel like my door approach should have enough value in there that if they were looking into this or they at all are interested, they would probably give me one buying sign. And if they give me a little bit of a buying sign, then I'm going to take it. I'm going to run with it. Yeah, that's that's super key. So let's go into the home. So go through kind of your flow. So you're you're in a home. You kind of funnel them down to you know obviously making a decision. But like what what's some what's like your flow? Like you do this, then you do this, then you make sure you do this. Yeah. So the biggest thing when you first get into the house that you gotta you you have to spend time on um, is you gotta you gotta open up you got you gotta create a connection right. Um, recently read a book called click and it just talks about you know clicking with somebody creating a, an instant connection with somebody when i first go into a house i'm not i don't have my salesman hat on anymore i'm just chat right i'm just hey let's get to know each other for just a minute man um and i'll ask you some, some normal questions like so are you guys from around here what do you do for work do you guys have kids i do a lot of times at that point i'm like yeah i've got four kids i mean you know, for me, that's kind of my, my go-to is my family. I talk about my kids. I have a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, whatever. Talk about sports, talk about hunting, whatever I can find that we have a connection on. And then I'm like, yeah, so let me kind of jump into this thing with you real quick. And I immediately go into who Vivint is. I build a ton of value in Vivint. I tell them all about Vivint. You know, so by the time they're done, they're drinking the Vivint Kool-Aid. At that point, I said, let me break this thing down for you. So you can see kind of what we're really offering. I'll give you the bare bones of everything so you know exactly what this thing costs. And then at that point, I do the – I break down, and I do what I call my one, two, threes, which is one, all the equipment, two, installation, three, activation. And I'm pretty much showing them up front, you're not going to pay for any of this, okay? Um, and I say up front because obviously Vivint changed their way of doing it. Last year we just said you're not paying for this, period, but – now the equipment is, is financed. I say up front, you're not going to cover the equipment. We roll it in. Two installation, three activation. And I say the three things I need you to do for me. So I kind of create this relationship. Like, look, this is what's in it for you. This is what's in it for us, right? And that's super important that people understand that. I, I was listening to your video about that. Uh, you know, people have to know what's in it for them, uh, and they want to know what's in it for you, and that's super important. So I say, look, I need referrals. My job is a lot easier when you give me referrals, so I need a couple referrals from you. Two, I need you to advertise, okay? We're going to put that sign out there. A lot of people are going to see it, and I usually make a joke. I say you don't have to stand and dance with that sign out in front of your house or anything. And then three, you got to pay the service, and that's when I break down the service form. At that point, as soon as they, they see the price, they see what I'm offering, I'm reading the buying signs. If I see there's hesitation, I ask them, what's up? I can see you're concerned about something, whatever. If they don't, I say, cool, let's go and get this thing wrapped up for you. And I spend, you know, five, ten minutes just finishing out the, the sale. Cool. No, I like that. Um, let's say I, process. let's say I give you objections. Like, what's your structure to an objection? Like, like you go through this whole process, and at the end they go, honestly, do you just have, like, some information you can leave with me and we'll think about it or a card? Like, how would you respond to that? So everybody knows an objection. Usually there's an underlying bigger objection. There's something else, you know, especially with stuff I'm like, oh, I just need to think about it. Usually that means, hey, man, you didn't <laughs> you didn't sell me hard enough. You didn't – I'm just – I don't see the value in what you're offering quite yet. That's, you know, when they say they need to think about it. That's usually pretty rare that I get like, oh, can you just leave me a card? Because through that process, I'm, I'm building value to where I, I don't usually get that at the very end. 
Um, usually that will be kind of an initial thing, and I'm, you know, but if if they do give me, hey, you know, I want to I want to think about this, give me a card. My tip to you guys is is to just put yourselves in their their shoes and kind of just sit back and breathe. I think too many times we get flustered and we we immediately are like, well, what do you need to think about? <laughs> Which is a horrible way to respond, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you say, all right, man, I I totally get it. Um, you know, maybe I didn't do a uh, you know a good job explaining exactly what we're offering, or maybe you just don't see the value of what I'm offering quite yet. Um, if you don't mind me asking you though, you know, on a scale of one to ten, where are you at, man? Where where do you see yourself at? Oh, I'm like a a seven. Okay, what would it take to get you to a ten? What would we need to do to make this a ten for you? How can I make this a win for you? What else? I mean, what what did you like about it? And, and you know what I mean? Go back through that process and try to figure out where you can add more value to to him as a customer. If you add more value to him, that might take him from a seven to a ten. And uh, you're just you, you be persistent. You keep chipping away at it, and you keep you know keep trying to figure out where where else you can add value to that guy or girl, whoever you're selling. And at that point, you know once once you do finally get him to a ten, and he's like, all right, man, yeah, that that sounds better. Yeah, I like that. You know, people like to negotiate, right? So yep. sometimes they sometimes they say that, but all they really want is a free month, right? Yep. So, shoot, man, give them a free month. <laughs> exactly. Give them a free month, and all of a sudden you, you got a customer, and you're like, oh man, that's all he wanted? Huh? Okay. Well, yeah, I'll give you a free month. Sure. Yeah, I. Uh, it's funny because how often do you feel like maybe a, an unexperienced sales rep gives up at that point way too easy? They're like, man. Another guy just saying, I want a card. Like, dang it. But you, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, wait a minute. That's just like an invitation to start getting in the boxing match and figuring out what it's going to take to get him to buy. Like, exactly. Yeah. If, if he's genuinely interested, right? But you should yeah. know that as a sales rep. You should be reading that the whole time. I feel like sometimes I get a call from a first year, and they're like, hey, can you come help me close this? And I get over there, and <laughs> the person's not – in the game, they're not even interested, and I'm like, dude, he wasn't really that close. He was just being nice to you. You realize that, right? So there's a big difference between a customer that's giving you buying time, the customer that's asking questions that are good questions. They're like, so you guys have put the panel here, and da 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 da, and then at the end, they're like, well, I just, I kind of want to think about it. No, 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 no. I, I know you want to think about it, but I got a job to do. I'm not doing callbacks. Let's let's make this thing work. What do we need to do? Let's sit down, let's negotiate. You know that that's what's going through my head. Yeah. No, and, and and it's interesting to say, like, there's also something to say where most people probably aren't interested at the beginning. It's your job as the sales rep to create the interest, right? Exactly. And sometimes yep. people fail to, they're like, well, he's just not in it. When you go to that rookie and you're like, dude, the guy's not really in it yet. Well, it's like, I could backtrack and maybe get him into it, but the reality is, like, don't try to go ask for the sale until you know he's into it, right? Exactly. Yep. And then once yeah. you know he's kind of shown some buying signs, it's like, okay, let's go. Like, it's game time. Now, We're doing now go through your process. But hey. too many times, like you said, you, you try to close somebody, and they're like, yeah, if I were to do this, and, and they're giving you all those negative signs, right? Oh, if yep. I was to do this, yeah, I would do this. But you're you're like, okay, in my head, he's not ready yet. I, I You know, in, in my head, it's like work harder. Yep. Figure out a way to get this guy more interested. You're you're not there yet. Once he once you're there, you know it. You can see it. You can feel it. You know, simple things. Hey, can I get you a glass of water? That typically is a great buying sign that they're opening up to you, right? So when I start yep. seeing those things, I'm like, okay, I got this. Now now I'm going through my full sales process. Cool. 
No, I like that. Um, okay, let's kind of shift gears into management. So I, you know, obviously you've ran 40, 50 man teams, won the cup multiple years. Um, we talked a little bit earlier on the podcast, but I want to kind of dive into some of the systems that you've created to keep, you know, a functioning 40 man team. Obviously you've had some ups and downs and had some hard learning experiences like you did in Long Island, but obviously you've had some really successful years. So like, what do you found that's worked for you from a system standpoint to maintain good per up averages and, you know, good retention, et cetera? Um, so, I mean, in, in regards to the numbers, uh, probably the, the number one thing that I would say is important is accountability. Guys have to know that they, they, they need to be accountable to whatever goals, whatever numbers that they're putting on that board. Um, and if, if a manager's not digging into the numbers on a consistent base, like, I don't know, two, three times a week, and looking at the numbers, then guys fall off. Guys, you know, go under the radar and, and don't hit their, you know, their numbers, what, what they need to do to perform. And so systems in place, I mean, every single Sunday night, you know, right before I kind of get ready for bed, I go over last week's numbers. I put it into a spreadsheet. I keep very detailed track of everybody's numbers. And so the next morning as a management group and we're going over things, it's like, look, this, you know, this guy's doing two weeks without a sell or whatever, right? So, and then you're, you're, you're texting them, calling them, hey, man, we've got to make sure this week's a good week for you, like whatever we need to do. So you're just constantly looking into the numbers because the numbers are reality. No matter how hard a guy says he's working or whatever, if the numbers don't show it, then, then there's something wrong. And so, yeah. you know, that's one system that I think everybody needs to make sure they're tracking and, like, be meticulous with it. Like, get a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet on your computer and track the heck out of not only your personal numbers, but your little, you know, if you're a little team, if you're a big team, doesn't matter. You should have a system to make sure that those numbers are being tracked and that you're staying on top of it. And if you see where there's dips, you need to make sure you instantly address those. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that that's that's huge. And so what's interesting is most people, they're too lazy to even pay attention. So you're probably going to get lazy results. And yeah. it, there's something to say, like the accountability and just like the meticulous, like it's it's boring to go to a spreadsheet and have to re-input everything. It's boring to have to like send out all these random text messages or phone calls to those five rookies that you know you should. But I was listening to a book this morning. It talks about it's like usually the thing you fear or don't want to do that day is typically the thing you should do the most, you know? Yeah. And But, you know, but it's that, not boring. It's not boring when you see the results, right? Yep. Like when you see a rep that, you know, I mean, we have a rep in our office right now, and I'm not going to say names, but he may listen to this and whatever. I'm going to give him some props. He went like three weeks without a sell, okay? This is a guy that knows how to sell. And I'm sitting here saying, what's going on? Me as a manager 10 years into this, I know there's one thing going on. He's not working the hours. Yep. We know that as managers. Like, you're not working the hours, man. So I bring him in. Look, man, you're not working the hours. I need you to, I need you to hit your numbers. You need to hit your numbers. And so we start digging into it, and he opens up and kind of says, yeah, you're right, da 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 Last week or two weeks ago, he went out and did, like, five accounts. Last week he did four. Like, there you are, right? So it, it's boring when you're doing the numbers. It's boring when you got to, you know, have – I mean, kind of sucks to always have those conversations to be that guy that, you know, has to call him in and whatever. But when when you see them start producing again and they got a smile on their face again, that's why you do it. Yep. You know, and, that, and that's awesome, yeah. Yep. So Stefan Robert Shaw – 
he's a manager at Vivint. I posted a question on face on can't knock this and he asked the question, so how do you relight the fire in a rookie who started strong and is now tailing, trailing off? Like so similar to that guy that you're like you know you can sell, maybe he's not working or whatever. Like how do you have like how do you craft that conversation? Like how do you like what things do you say? What things do you do to kind of relight that fire in a rep that maybe it's like, wait, you're underperforming, man. Like, what are you doing? Well, I think when you're, I think, I don't like the word managing uh, because you should be more of like a leader to that guy. There's a big difference, right, between a manager and a leader, right? And, and you can dig into all that. But a leader is going to, you know, have trust with that person, um, be vulnerable with that person, be willing to, you know, go to the trenches with that person. They're not just saying, look, I'm sitting here in my, my high chair looking at your numbers and your numbers suck. Figure it out. You're saying, look, man, I'm here with you. What do we need to do? What do we need to do together, man? How can I how can I help you do this? And I think when a guy feels uh, that you genuinely care and trusts you and is like, look, man, Chad's looking out for me. I need to do this for him. I don't want to let him down. When they can kind of feel that, like, deeper level, then, then they're willing, I think, to – you know, relight the fire or do whatever. A lot of times when rookies are falling off, they start off great because the excitement was there, right? And then they hit this, holy crap, man, this is a marathon. This is hard for like 80 days straight or 70 days or 100 days or whatever. And they're sitting there, you know, they're scratching their heads because now now it became real. (laughs) Now it became hard. And, you know, at the beginning, it was just the honeymoon phase. It was exciting. It was awesome. Ooh, you know, summer's here. This is freaking awesome. And then all of a sudden they hit two months into it and they're like, oh man, I got to wake up and do this again. So they just got to learn how to keep it exciting, keep having fun with it. So what things do you do in your office to keep things exciting, you know, um, to keep things different, to keep those guys on edge? Like, do you have any fun systems that you do in a correlation or activity? Yeah. I mean, some years are better than others, for sure. Um, I'd say this year we haven't had as many uh, of these systems in place. We've tried, and, and we're just a little bit of a, a smaller team this year. We've branched off some teams, so we don't have as many guys, but, you know, it's a little bit easier to put the activities together and whatnot. But little things we would do, we do Wednesday breakfast by the pool every Wednesday. A wife or whatever, uh, you know, guy would go make breakfast for the whole team. And so Wednesday was like our breakfast day. Everybody would come down to the pool hang out, have fun. Um, a lot of times Thursday nights were usually like our dinner goal nights. So when we hit our dinner goal the week before Thursday night, everyone kind of had something to you know, look forward to. Um, you know, we started on Sunday nights. We'd do like games. Sounds kind of silly or whatever, but board games, we would just, you know, play, play games. And, you know, they have to have things that they're looking forward to on a week to week, weekly basis. It's not just knocking doors. Um, We've inherited Fridays. That's why right now it's a little bit later. Fridays we do our meeting at 1. We actually let guys have a little bit of more time on Fridays to get things done. And then if they have a wife, to take their wife out on a, on a little date. Uh, Tim Yetza cool. was the one that kind of kind of had that idea to take your wife out Friday morning. Go do something with your wife or your girlfriend or whatever. So I think just breaking it up so that you feel like a human still <laughs> yeah. uh, is, is important and things to look forward to, right? No, that's cool. I think, and I think a lot of times it's, it's, I'm sure you don't have to plan each one of those things. I'm sure you delegate, you know, hey, this guy's in charge of activities or this guy's in charge of dinners and, you know, but, but it's important to say like, 
man, like we're because think of the culture and family and the unity. Because at the end of the day, like most guys in the summer, it's like that's all they got. You know, it's not like they have their their mom or their brothers and sisters or their best friends. They're not out there with them, and so it's like if you can make people feel like part of a, a unified group and actually enjoying themselves, like they'll start enjoying the job. You know. Yeah, you'll definitely get better results if they're happy and, and having fun. And, and, again, something to look forward to is a big deal. Like, if you don't have something to look forward to, you, you get, you know, you get get depressed and dark real quick. But if you're like, oh, yeah, we got, you know, Wednesday night we do this or, you know, Thursday night we do this and whatever, you know, I think uh, the summers go by a lot quicker. For sure, for sure. Um, okay, so let's kind of wrap this up. We're getting to the tail end. I always do, like, a fun – lightning round at the end of these. I don't know if you've listened to many of them, but um, I just started this new thing called the Game of Things, and it's basically, I'm going to I'm gonna read off a random thing. It'll be like things that are blank, and you have to think of the first thing that comes to your mind. Some of them are quite random, but just first okay. thing that pops in your mind, go, and we'll just go quick on these lightning rounds. But I definitely yeah, appreciate it. It, it's kind of fun. <laughs> it's going to catch you on I'm kind of nervous, man. I know. Hey, hey! But no, this will kind of also at uh, Door to Orcon. We're gonna play this game called Snake Oil. Have you ever heard of that? I haven't. So yeah. go buy it for your office. You'll love it. So what? You, like this is another fun activity I've like always did in my correlations. Is it's just a sales game, card game kind of thing. But I'm gonna do the entire thousand people at Door to Orcon or whatever. Um, we're gonna do a sell off with Snake Oil, and so it, it just tests your wittiness. Really, so that's, nice. All right. <laughs> that's what it is. Um, okay, so things you would like to be the boss of. Things I'd like to be the boss of. Oh, man. The NBA. I want to be the okay. boss of the NBA, bro. You saw it. Things that are cool about nerds. About nerds? Yep. Uh, they're smart. <laughs> things that should have their own festival. Uh, the sales world. It's about to happen, my man. Yeah, I know. Or at it's exciting. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Things things you'd like to make about a fi- a film about. Ooh, man, things you like to make a film about. I'm gonna stick to I'm gonna stick to the same thing. The sales world. Love it. So hey, teaser. I'm actually gonna go in a motorhome next summer and travel around the United States and film a journey interviewing different sales guys and, and cultures throughout the entire industry. Um, hey, so bro, maybe I, if you need, if you need a sidekick, I'm with you. Hey, Hey, I might, I may need one, but, or I'm stopping in Miami and, and hitting some beach and little Disney world and stuff. Um, <laughs> love it. Um, things that are hard to measure. Um, your work ethic. Things that you broke. Mm, things that things that I broke or things that are broke. Either one. Uh, the school system. <laughs> Agreed. Things seagulls are actually saying when they squawk at each other. <laughs> I, I think I think I think they're rapping to each other. <laughs> it's a rap battle. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like Drake and Little Wayne rapping. Oh, I love it. Okay, hey. Chad, this has been awesome. I've like I always get fired up doing these podcasts. So I hope everybody that listened to this has gotten a ton of knowledge 
Um, this is one of the greats. I mean, to go run a team doing 3,400 accounts, to go in the D2 Cups, to go sell thousands of accounts and to consistently do that. I mean, that takes takes some serious, like, strength and determination and focus and work ethic. I mean, it's, it's awesome. So I hope people that listen to this is inspired by this. And anybody that listened to it, share it if, and tag people that need to hear, you know, this, if they're in alarm specific or if they're in, you know, in a management position. Um, I hope you guys would share this and uh, show Chad some love. So appreciate your time, yeah, my man. man. Keep, keep, keep grinding out there, right? And uh, I'd say don't be scared of hard work. You know what I mean? Don't be, don't be scared to work hard. Feels good to work hard. Cool. That's it, man. Talk good. Thanks, man. Talk to you later. Bye.